and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza on this live broadcast from Washington. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Monday, January 8, 2024. South Sudanese refugees who are stuck in Sudan call for help. People in Liri are in bad situation because they have not received food assistance in February 2023. When the conflict in Sudan started in April 2023, humanitarian corridors were closed. And Congolese rebels signed an agreement with an umbrella group. This uh, agreement is actually a creation of a new platform. Is a political military platform created in Nairobi. This platform is called Congo River Alliance. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Thousands of South Sudanese refugees at Liri camp in Sudan's western Kordofan are moving back to South Sudan because of the conflict between the Sudan Armed Forces and the paramilitary Rapid Support Forces. Authorities in Upper Nile State say the South Sudanese refugees have spent over eight months without food, water and medical supplies. Abraham Mamer Quart reports for VOA from Malakal. South Sudanese refugees at Lyric Camp in Sudan's western Kordofan say they lack access to life-saving humanitarian assistance. Isaac Kir, the coordinator of South Sudanese refugees in Liri Refugee Camp, says the camp was cut off from eight workers when fighting erupted last April, leaving the refugees without food and water. People in Liri are in bad situation because they have not received food assistance since February 2023. When the conflict in Sudan started in April 2023, humanitarian corridors were closed. People are suffering due to lack of food and water. Last month, we asked NGO to provide transport to the stranded refugee in Liri, but there is still no help. Kier says some children and elderly persons die daily at the camp, adding that the refugees are waiting for United Nations agencies to repatriate them to Tonga in Panyikang County. If you are a refugee and you don't have any food and you don't work eight months without food assistance and they don't have any work, that is why a lot of people are dying. Children and elderly are dying. We are waiting for the organization to come to take them from Liri to their areas. Mustafa Gai Lual, the commissioner of Panyikang County, is calling on UN agencies to help the refugees return to South Sudan. The second thing that I want to tell you is that we have a lot of people who are still in Sudan, in Liri, and they need means of transport. They are now stranded there, and I urge organizations to get means of transport for them to come to Malakal or Tonga. Gabriel Oloy, County Coordinator for South Sudan's Relief and Rehabilitation Commission, says some refugees lack money for transportation and have traveled to Tonga on foot. 
Those who came, the other people who are able, some come on footing with their children. Those who can see themselves, they have an effort to come. Some they are using motorbike, those who have a little money. But what they tell us a lot, it is a, a way of hiring some vehicle to use. It's difficult because there's no money. There is a much number of children because only we saw women carrying children, but we know that there are some children who are separated. Oloch says his office is mobilizing non-profit groups to help repatriate the refugees. He says the International Organization for Migration is well informed about the plight of the South Sudanese stranded in Sudan. ROC is still mobilizing the resources from NGOs like IOM. Even the time we went for rough assessment, IOM was there with us. And uh, through interview, they get all the information that people want to come back because life is too hot for them and there's no way to let them come. They say they are going also to send the message and they are going to mobilize. But now, due to the Christmas in, we didn't get more information how far they reached. Peter Pal, the acting chairperson of Relief and Rehabilitation Commission in Malakal, says he will work with IOM to help repatriate the South Sudanese refugees from Lyric Camp. I will call UN agency. Then there is people who are in gap between uh, a state with open eye with the Sudan. And then I will call them, we sit together and we see IOM to bring them to that location. Because if they are there, Maybe they don't have anything, so maybe we will sit together. They will arrange the way they will be brought to Penyeka. The camp in Liri was opened after the outbreak of South Sudan's 2013 conflict. Olwech says many people fled on foot to western Kordofan to seek refuge. Panyekan County authorities say 1,408 refugees from Liri camp arrived in Tonga this week. For VOA News, I am Amir Abram Court in Malakal. From Malakal, we move to Washington. In an interview with VOA's White House correspondent, Paris Hung, on January 4, 2024, John Kirby, National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic Communications, reiterated that President Joe Biden and his administration are all in on cooperation with the African continent in the coming year. Uh, I think you're going to see us continue to be all in when it comes to Africa. Uh, We have already moved out and made terrific progress on many of the commitments that we made in the Africa Leaders Summit. Um, And there have been visits by some 17 senior level officials uh, of the United States government. I fully expect that those those, uh, uh, high level engagements will, will continue. And the U.S. has imposed sanctions on individuals in several African countries which are experiencing conflict, like the uh, Congo, Sudan. President Biden also recently revoked uh, AGOA, assess over human rights issues on Central African Republic, Gabon, Niger, and Uganda. Is this type of economic uh, statecraft the main lever that the United States has for managing this relationship with the continent? And is this enough to counter China's rising influence and massive expenditures on the continent? Well, first of all, these actions were taken, uh, these economic actions actions you're talking about, uh, were uh, were designed to express our deep concern um, and to to do it tangibly about some of the the practices by by leaders in these countries. It has nothing to do with trying to counter uh, China. It's about, it's about, leading our foreign policy uh, with a strong focus on uh, on human and civil rights 
um, and doing what's right uh, and making it clear what we will and what we won't stand for. Um, we have other tools at our disposal, uh, which, again, I'm not in a position to, uh, you know, to speculate about right at this time. But, uh, but it's not about China. These countries all get to decide for themselves what kind of relationship they want with the United States uh, and what kind of relationship they want with China. That's up to them. Um, the, we're comfortable that we've got a strong network of relationships across the continent. We're comfortable that we're taking real action to give African nations and African leaders um, alternatives in terms of financing, transparent, healthy, vibrant financing opportunities that won't push their countries further into debt the way that other uh, financial relationships with other countries outside the continent have, have caused uh, to these African, uh, our African uh, friends. So, again, um, we're going to keep doing what, we're, what, what we've been doing, meeting the commitments that we made during the Africa Leaders Summit, uh, offering opportunities for infrastructure growth and development and investment that are sound and viable and transparent, um, and continuing to, uh, to, uh, to honestly put uh, our money where our mouth is when it comes to standing up for shared principles and values. That's John Kabi, the National Security Council Coordinator for the Strategic Communications. He spoke with VOA's correspondent, Paris Hong. There was yet another problem with the Democratic Republic of Congo's December 20 presidential and parliamentary elections. The country's electoral commission declared ineligible a total of 82 candidates, including three government ministers and four governors, due to fraud. Reporter Al-Kantani Sabiti Jafar in the eastern city of Goma tells my colleague James Batty the latest development has raised more uncertainty among the Congolese voters. The Electoral Commission sought out yesterday a long communique in which 82 candidates were disqualified because of electoral fraud. Among them, 80 are members of Union Sacre, which is the political platform supporting President Tshisekedi. One of them is the governor of the capital city of DRC, the city of Kinshasa, and three of them are ministers. According to this report, uh, Jaffa, they are disqualified because of fraud. What kind of fraud do you think uh, they might have been engaged in? Most of them are accused of having hijacked voting machines and facilitating false votes in their favor. Others are accused of using ballot staffing in their electoral district. And you must know that 15 of 26 provinces of DRC are concerned by this problem because these people are from different provinces. We know already the uh, DRC election had some problems. So with these disqualifications, how would this impact the rest of the electoral process? This situation had impacted negatively the electoral process uh, because now we have a lot of clashes on social media, on media between candidates and the electoral commission. And as I said before, most of them are from... So people and opponents are asking now, if CENI, the Electoral Commission, accepts now as there was some people who did fraud, who did they vote for the president as they are all 
Tisekedi uh, supporters. And even between Tisekedi supporters, we also found many clashes on social media and even on normal media. So this has impacted negatively the process because the Electoral Commission had to announce the results of the parliament at the national level two days ago, but they didn't because of this problem. And we don't know how SENI will resolve it and what will be after this, because now all opponents can get a way to charge the government and SENI to do not be serious when organizing this election. That's reporter Al-Kantani Sabiti Jaffer in the eastern DRC city of Goma speaking to my colleague James Batty on the latest development in DRC. Still in Congo, the rebels of M23 say an agreement with the former head of the Electoral Commission has created a platform that will improve the lives of citizens. It comes after Corneli Nanga, former chairman of the Electoral Commission known as CENI agreed to create a new political military coalition called the Congo River Alliance. The move, observers say, is unusual since the government in Kinshasa accuses neighboring Rwanda of supporting the M23. Kigali denies the accusation. Laurel Lawrence Kanyuka, a spokesperson for the M23, tells VOA's Peter Clody that the agreement allows Congolese to join the group in an effort to improve living standards. This uh, agreement is actually a creation of a new platform, is a political military platform created in Nairobi. This platform is called Congo River Alliance which has with goal to end the suffering of Congolese, the bad governance, to restore the dignity of Congolese, to resolve the root causes of conflict for a lasting place in our country. is actually a good thing that has never happened to DRC. Finally, we have somebody of that caliber of uh, Mr. Nukone Nanga, who joined forces with M23, with other politician to actually end the suffering of Congolese. This platform is open to all Congolese, all Africans that want to support the platform, is open to political parties, civil societies, personality, businessmen, and all armed groups. Lawrence, what will this mean for the people of DRC and particularly for those areas that the M23 occupies? This is a very good thing because uh, our people in those parties that M23 occupied, there is peace. There's not exclusions. There's not xenophobia. No hate speech. People are working and going to the daily lives with their business in peace. It's good for them to have this platform that brings everybody together, join forces to end properly their suffering. This is a very good thing for the people that live in the area that M23 controls and those are in the other side in Mr. Chisekedi regime's control. The CNE has officially declared President Chisekedi won the recent general election. What is the M23's reaction to this and what are your expectations? 
Uh, basically, we don't have any expectation. First of all, let me tell you that this is just a botched election. For the M23, we said Mr. Tshisekedi doesn't have any legitimacy to any territory that we control. During the campaign, President Tshisekedi said that Congolese should give him the mandate, and if they do, he would seek permission from Parliament to take the fight to Kigali because he said Rwanda supports the M23 rebel group. Basically, you are causing mayhem, he says, in the DRC. What is your reaction, the M23's reaction to this? I I don't know if you know uh, the expression that has been said uh, all along by so many people around the world, that it talks the talk, but does not work the work. In Rwanda, they have a very good system of education, health, the security is there, is very clean country and very nice managed. So if you want to fight with Rwanda, is a very good army in Rwanda. Rwanda solved the problem of terrorists in Africa, in Central Africa, in Mozambique. Rwanda sent troops in there to help countries to get rid of the terrorists. So they have experience. So ourselves, we actually in a moment, in the M23 uh, uh, way we see things in the moment, if you want to go to fight Rwanda, it's suicidal. That's Lawrence Kanyuka, a spokesperson for the rebel M23. He was speaking with my colleague Peter Claudie. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus from The Voice of America. Coming up, U.S. Secretary of State meets Arab leaders. Find out why after the break. If you are in Sudan witnessing events taking place there or if you have family you are talking to there, you can call us on WhatsApp and let us know how things are going there. Dial the international code plus one, then 202-258-3076. The number again, the international code plus one, then 202-258-3076. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus from, <clears throat> from the Voice of America. As Italy assumes the rotating presidency of the group of seven leading industrial nations, Prime Minister Giorgia Moloni says a focus on developing strategic partnership with Africa rather than aid will be key during its one-year tenure. Cooperation to develop local economies and raising living standards in Africa, she said, could dissuade prospective migrants from seeking refuge in Europe. Del Gavlak reports from Rome. Italy envisions a strategy for Africa known as the Mattei Plan, named after Enrico Mattei, founder of the state-controlled oil and gas giant Eni. It calls for expanding cooperation in Africa beyond energy. Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney told the news conference this week the plan includes specific projects, but details would be unveiled this month at a Rome conference. Professor Nicholas Westcott of the School of Oriental and African Studies at the University of London welcomed the announcement. It's an encouraging development, but needs to be delivered on, he told VOA, saying that previously there has been more talk than delivery along these lines. Westcott, who was formerly the EU's managing director for Africa, 
says the EU had put a significant sum of money to encourage investment, but it hasn't had much impact yet. He says the EU needs to up its game in terms of effective investment in Africa. Now is a good time to do it. Africa is starved of investment. The demands for investment allow the economies to adapt to climate change, which is already having a quite dramatic impact in Africa, even more than elsewhere. is very urgent, so it is timely that this initiative is taken. Most of the nearly 261,000 illegal migrants crossing the Mediterranean from northern Africa in 2023 entered Europe through Italy, according to the United Nations. Italy's stringent immigration laws and restrictions on sea rescue charities have not helped stem the tide. Maloney's government says it is open to legal immigration to help plug labor gaps in Italy, which has one of the world's oldest and shrinking populations. Westcott said the plan's underlying motive of reducing illegal migration from Africa is politically realistic in Europe. The far right, Maloney is a relatively moderate representative, is using this anti-immigrant card to increase their vote in Europe. And without constructive policies to tackle the problem, there will be more destructive policies introduced. Madalena Procopio, an Africa analyst with the European Council on Foreign Relations, told VOA that Italy, in the words of Maloney, wants to build cooperation and serious strategic relationships in Africa as equals, not predators. She pointed to energy cooperation Africa has provided Italy, which moved away from Russian gas. Procopio said that while migration concerns play a big role for Italy and the EU, the Mattei plan is more economically oriented. Italy and Europe in general are talking a lot about a shift from aid, from development cooperation to economic partnership. But it's unlikely that we'll see a real shift, reduction of aid. So it's more likely to be both. The fact that the focus is on economic partnership and not only on development cooperation is a good and pragmatic change of approach. Africa has massive needs in terms of financing, infrastructure, energy access, health, education. Procopio said EU and Western public finance alone will not be sufficient to address such development needs. And that is why private funds are necessary. Del Gavlak, VOA News, Rome. From Rome, we move to U.S., where the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, met with several Arab leaders leaders in the Middle East amid growing regional tensions related to the Israeli-Hamas war. Separately, Israel made it clear Sunday that no Palestinians will be forced to resettle outside Gaza, but that the war will continue. VOA's Veronica Baldras Iglesias has the story. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's agenda was packed with high-level meetings in the Arab world Sunday as part of his efforts to ease regional tensions and prevent the widening of the Israel-Hamas war. The latest conflict began when Hamas launched a terrorist incursion into Israeli territory on October 7, killing around 1,200 people and taking about 240 hostages. After meeting with his Jordanian counterpart, Ayman Safadi, Blinken toured a warehouse of the World Food Program. It is imperative, imperative uh, that we maximize assistance to people in need, 
not only do we get it to Gaza and into Gaza, but once it's in Gaza, that it can be effectively distributed, equally needed everywhere in Gaza. We'll be working on that in phase ahead as well. The top U.S. diplomat also visited Qatar and held talks with Prime Minister Mohammed bin Abdurrahman al During their joint news conference, Blinken rejected recent statements by some Israeli cabinet members calling for the forced resettlement of Palestinians outside of Gaza. These statements are irresponsible, they're inflammatory, and they only make it harder to secure a future for Palestinian-led Gaza with Hamas no longer in control and with terrorist groups no longer able to threaten Israel's security. The expulsion of Palestinians from the Gaza Strip is not the Jewish state's official position, clarified Israeli President Isaac Herzog during an appearance on NBC's Meet the Press. A cabinet of 30 ministers, where it's not the security cabinet, a minister can say whatever he wants. I may not like it, but this is Israeli politics. But really, I'm saying outright, officially and unequivocally, this is not the Israeli position. The current war won't end, however, until all its objectives are met, reiterated Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu during a cabinet meeting. The elimination of Hamas, the return of all our hostages and the promise that Gaza won't pose a threat to Israel anymore. Pressure keeps mounting on Israel to protect Palestinian civilian lives. And Blinken said he'll bring up the topic again during the discussions he'll hold this week in Israel. Veronica Valderas Iglesias, VOA News, Washington. And that's all we prepared for you this Monday, January 8, 2024. I must say it's back to be, it's, it's good to be back here in Studio 14 after an absence of one month. But Nabil Biagio was in charge. We now leave you with uh, Ras Corby and the song Yamila. I'm your host, John Tanza, on this live broadcast from Studio 14 here in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Nabil Biagio, and engineer, Bill Andrat, we wish you a lovely evening. Remember to join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 
This holiday season marks the fifth year that Paul Whelan has spent in a Russian prison colony, a pawn in the Russian Federation's geopolitical game to be used as leverage against the United States. 53-year-old Paul Whelan was born in Canada and today holds United States, British, Irish and Canadian citizenship. He served as an administrative clerk in the United States Marine Corps for five years. Returning to civilian life in 2008, Whelan worked as Director of Global Security and investigations for an international automotive parts manufacturer based in the state of Michigan. Beginning in about 2006, he began to regularly visit Russia and maintained a presence on a Russian-language social media website. In December 2018, Whalen arrived in Moscow to attend the wedding of a friend, a former Marine. He was arrested by officers of Russia's Federal Security Service on December 28th and charged with espionage, an accusation that his family and the United States government insist are entirely baseless. On July 20th, 2020, more than a year and a half after his arrest, Paul Whelan was convicted of spying in a closed trial conducted in a Russian prison facility and sentenced to a 16-year prison term. He is currently held in a high-security prison in central Russia. December 28th marks five years since Russian authorities wrongfully detained U.S. citizen Paul Whelan, said Secretary of State. Antony Blinken. After a secret trial behind closed doors, Paul has spent years laboring in a Russian penal colony. In the past year alone, he has faced assault from other prisoners and harassment from Russian state-run media. For far too long, Paul and his family have suffered the consequences of the Russian government's decision to wrongfully detain U.S. citizens, said Secretary Blinken. Using people as political pawns is unacceptable. Since President Biden took office, the United States has secured the release of more than 40 wrongful detainees. And not a day goes by without intensive U.S. government efforts to bring Paul home. We will not rest until he is safely back with his family where he belongs. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.